Well, it's my privilege this morning to open up the scriptures once again with you. And uh, this morning we do so in two places. First, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. You can uh, turn there in your Bibles, put your finger there, and then flip to the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 19, or just simply make it easy on yourself. Look straight ahead at that screen, and it'll all be uh, right there before you. I know that some of you, myself included, oftentimes like to look in your own copy of God's Word. That's why I always uh, invite you to, uh, but you certainly can just follow along uh, on the screen that is before you. We're continuing a little series that we began, a mini-series of sorts, a few weeks back, uh, focusing on the Lord Jesus and meals. The Lord Jesus and meals, as he was accused of the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And so we've been looking at these various times when Jesus has has eaten together with his people, eaten together with, with sinners. We've looked at two different historical meals, one at Martha's home, the other at Simon the leper's home. Both of those places, Jesus came in as the honored guest. Both of those occurrences happened when Jesus was was alive and on earth. Well, we're going to keep with that theme today, but we're going to shift gears just a little bit. And we're going to look at a meal that is not yet a meal that is still to come in fullness, and yet a meal that in one sense is already here. And we're getting tastes of it already. It's a feast where Jesus is not only the honored guest, but Jesus is the host. These two passages will guide us this morning. One is a a parable, a story that Jesus told uh, to his followers while he was still here on earth. The other is a vision that God gave the Apostle John, and I invite you to follow along as I read this morning Matthew chapter 22 and Revelation chapter 19. Listen as I read. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell me, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops, and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city, and he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few 
are chosen. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we walk through this, these two passages, this story, and this vision, I have two truths that I want us to meditate on this morning, two truths that I want us to wrap our heads and our hearts around as we gather on this Resurrection Sunday. And the first one is this, the risen king invites you to his feast. The risen king invites you to his feast. One of the great joys and highlights that I have in being a minister of the gospel and being a pastor is, is performing weddings. It's one of my favorite things to do. And just a couple months ago, I had the opportunity to perform a wedding in San Diego, situated on a, on a hill overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Following that was a reception just inside with, with a still a view of, of the Pacific Ocean, surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. It was, it was a little taste of heaven. I think we would all say that, that weddings and, and the celebrations that accompany weddings are, are wonderful occasions, a time to celebrate in the provision of, of love and, and lifelong commitment. That relationship of husband and wife, that joy, that bond of love and intimacy, as we were reminded of earlier through that passage in Isaiah, that's a picture that the Lord consistently paints of his relationship with his people. It's a picture that he invites them, he invites us to be a part of. And so today, friends, we gather virtually in anticipation of a coming meal with Jesus, a wedding feast that has been guaranteed by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus rose from the grave in order that we might feast at his table of grace and fellowship with his people, his bride. And it's the resurrection, the historical fact of the resurrection that secures all of this. And yes, it's a, it's a future feast like no other, and yet it's a feast that we get to enjoy, get to begin to enjoy even now. And so the risen king invites you to come to his feast. The story that Jesus tells here in the Gospel of Matthew 
gives us what is, I think, essential to understand, what is essential for us to get a seat at that table. That is a wedding feast that I want to be a part of. You know, there are invitations in life, and then there are invitations, right? It's one thing to get invited to your son's, um, your son's friend's sixth birthday party. It's a whole other thing to get invited to a state dinner at the White House. So when your boss invites you to uh, the company bash, maybe the end of the year party, and then he repeatedly mentions that he looks forward to seeing you there, this kind of invitation is, is, is more like a directive, uh, or more like a non-negotiable, right? Maybe you've experienced that at some point in your life. Well, here in this parable that Jesus tells God, who is the king in this story, God doesn't just hope that you show up to his feast, though, though he wants you there. He genuinely wants your fellowship. No, he expects you to show up, not merely in some heavy-handed way, though he could be heavy-handed. After all, he's the king and you are his citizen. But the king wants to invite his guests to enjoy the life that he offers for them. And so as Jesus told this story in the first century to a first century Jewish audience, an audience that would have known well the the book of Isaiah and that passage that Brett read just a few minutes ago, this invitation to feast first went out to Israel to the Jewish nation. And indeed, over and over again, for hundreds of years, in many different ways, God told Israel that the bridegroom was coming, that salvation was theirs for the taking, that the feast was spread for them. From the promise of a a savior in the garden to the promises given to the patriarchs to the pointing of the sacrificial system to the cry of the prophets to the cry of John the Baptist to the appearing of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. The invitation to believe the king, to believe God's promises was theirs. But they missed it. They missed it because they had other things going on. And if we're honest with ourselves, we we have other things going on too. And that leads us to this, this list of excuses, getting back to the story that Jesus tells these citizens when invited to this wedding feast they respond in one of two ways. They either respond in indifference, it seems, or, or in outright hostility. Those who were indifferent, the story says, they went off to their farms, to their businesses. Simply put, they had better things to do. Luke's version of this parable helps fill in and helps gives us a, a fuller picture of what these folks might have been doing. Let me read for you Luke 14, 18 through 20. But they all alike, same parable that Jesus is telling, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I I just can't come. 
fields and and oxen and, and, and new brides. These are important things, but more important than, than the king's banquet and the feast that, his, that he has prepared for his people. But, but this is the way that Israel treated God and his plan of redemption. They scoffed at it and they, they were agitated to the point of killing the messengers. They silenced John the Baptist for his call to repent and and believe, and they will silence Jesus after he speaks this. So that was them. What about us? Our response might not be as hostile. I hope it's not. But we too have our excuses. Just like those in the story. Maybe like the one with the field, our our possessions keep us from coming. Just like the rich man who walked away from Jesus when he was told by Jesus to sell everything that he had and, and to give it to the poor. Sometimes we just can't let go of the things we have. Jesus, you can have all of this, but but no more. Maybe we're like the one who had to deal with the oxen transaction. We, we let our careers and our, our worldly duties keep us from coming to the feast. Or maybe like the man who used his wife as an excuse. We use our relationships to, to wiggle out of, of the invitation or, or at least to distract us from the one relationship, the one who we really need to sit with. As Jeremiah the prophet lamented, we, we forsake the fountain. Just replace it with the word feast. We replace the feast of living water, of rich food, and we make ourselves broken cisterns that can hold nothing. Well, that's us. And then there's the king and his response. The king has been patient in this parable. The king has been persistent. Remember, this is not in regards to some difficult task that he's asking his his citizens to do. He's, He's inviting them to a party for crying out loud. But he must respond in one of two ways because this is his character. To those who have been so needlessly violent, he responds with justice. And he takes the lives of those who took the lives of his servants. As Jesus speaks these original words in the first century, Jesus is speaking prophetically. He's speaking of the prophetic judgment that's coming against Israel. Those who destroyed the king's messengers and who would seek to silence Jesus will be destroyed themselves. And indeed, history tells us this. As history tells of the resurrection in 70 AD, Titus, the son of the Roman emperor Vespasian, brought his army into Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple and everything around it and estimated one million Jews. And this was the end of Israel as a political unit. This was judgment. This was God's judgment on them as a a result of their rejection of his son. But this is also the fate of those who reject 
His invitation and His Son. Today, they will be forever cast away from His presence. So the king has to respond with justice, and yet the second response that the king gives is what I would say is ridiculous grace. Ridiculous grace. You see, his celebration is not going to be ruined due to the indifference, due to the arrogance of a few. He is determined to fill his banquet hall with whoever will come. Jesus here is foreshadowing for his people that the feast will be for Jew and Gentile, for every tribe and every nation. All are invited to come and to feast and to enjoy the spread of the Lamb. And so, friends, God calls you this morning, you who deserve nothing, you have no claim or right to come. Those of you who were, in essence, living on the street, he says, come, come and enjoy a feast that has been prepared by the king. Well, we could stop right there if the parable ended at verse 10, but it doesn't. <laughs> Instead, we have these, ten, these four more verses in Jesus' story that recount an event at the feast itself. I want to read them to you again and remind them of, get them in your heads again, uh, verses 11 through 14. It says, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called and few are chosen. And perhaps you're thinking this morning after hearing that, you're thinking, what happened to the compassionate and gracious king of ridiculous grace? I mean, what did he expect from that guy? He just pulled him off the street. Well, that brings us to the second truth. And it's this. Come and feast, clothed in Christ. Come and feast, clothed in Christ. Before I left for San Diego a few months ago, I bought a new suit. I bought a new suit for that San Diego wedding, and I also bought a nice new periwinkle shirt uh, that I uh, needed to match uh, the rest of the wedding party. And it was, it was my pleasure to do so because that's what the bridegroom asked of me. What we have here in this parable, in this story, in this picture that Jesus gives of God's relationship with his people. What we have here is not a mad king changing faces and suddenly turning on these guests that he is, has just invited. Rather, this is the king rightfully offended that the man has refused his robe. That's right, refused his robe. You see, it was customary in the ancient world for a man of great wealth particularly a king, to provide garments for his guests that were appropriate for the occasion. And so in 2 Kings 10, we have Jehu, ancient king of Israel, 
who did this, unfortunately not for an assembly of worship for Yahweh, but an assembly to worship Baal. But we read in 2 Kings 10, 22, he said to him who was in charge of the wardrobe, bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. And so he brought out the vestments for him. We see it in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 as the son is received back uh, into the father's arms and he's readied for the feast and, and, and he's brought the best robe and a ring put on his hand. You see, what's happened here in this story is that the man has heard the call He's heard the invitation, and he's even shown up, but he's rejected the great king's covering for him. Instead, he prefers, apparently, his own filthy rags. And so the president of the United States invites you to the state dinner at the White House. He sends his personal tailor to fit you in a tuxedo so you don't have to buy one and you decide to show up in blue jeans and flip-flops. What an arrogant message you have communicated to your host. I don't respect you. I don't respect this occasion, nor do I need your handouts. I will do this myself. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting here in this story? What he is saying is, come and feast clothed in Jesus. Don't come with your handmade suit, your handmade dress, your hand-me-downs as nice as you think they might be. As you come to the king's feast, to God Almighty, you must come accepting the covering that he has provided for you and you must keep it on. Jesus died to make us worthy and he rose from the grave to prove that he was worthy. Friends, this is the gospel. This is what makes us worthy. This is what gives us the power to do righteous deeds as we're clothed in the robes of his righteousness. Remember that beautiful passage in Isaiah 61? We read that a couple weeks ago. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. If we come without the robe of righteousness that is Christ, then we come in the face of a king whose presence is too grand for us to stand in in our sin. But if we come Come clothed in Jesus, as we have heard this morning, the bridegroom rejoices over his bride. God rejoices over his people. So put your excuses aside. Put your strivings aside. The king invites you to his feast. Come and feast clothed in Jesus. And this is a robe that's not just for those who, have, who are on the outside. Just, it's not a robe just for those who have never put it on. It's for all of us who know and love Jesus. This serves as a reminder to us to live in the same manner that we have 
come. It's not as if we just put on the robe of righteousness, get in the door, and then fling it off now that we're in. No, we wear that robe for life. And so Paul talks about putting on Christ in Galatians 3. He speaks of being in Christ in the book of Ephesians, of walking in him in the book of Colossians. As we've been given the robe of righteousness that is Jesus through grace, may we be given the grace to keep that robe on, ever trusting and ever looking to the merits of the risen Jesus. What a story. Brothers and sisters, today is resurrection day. Our very faith Everything we're about hinges on this very day, but I proclaim to you that it happened. Jesus did rise from the dead, proving that all that he said was true. He does offer us a feast of life in him as we are pilgrims and exiles in this land that's not our own, and he is coming again to host and to spread out a feast for the ages for all those who are his. And so I call you, I invite you to believe it to rejoice in it, to let it calm your anxieties. I know you're anxious, but let it give you hope. Let it change your perspective on the difficulties of life, the difficulty of quarantine. Let it revive your heart and fuel your days and hours. Come at the invitation of the King Come and feast, clothed in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful story, for this powerful promise which is extended to us. And we know your word is sure because Jesus, you proved it in rising from the grave and how we long for that day when we will feast in fullness with you, the risen Jesus, in your glorified body. Oh, come, come quickly to make all things right. And until that day, indeed, give us the grace to be clothed in the robes that you provide, to walk in the footsteps that you have walked in. This I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.